you're listening to another inspirational message from Bell Road Church. If you live in the North Phoenix area and are looking for a church community, we'd love to have you join us. It's a great place for the whole family where you can have fun and grow closer to Jesus. For more information, visit us at www.bellroadchurch.com. Church, how are we doing? Good. However, you are joining us this morning. I am glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. This is my first chance in a while to get to actually experience a worship service with Bell Road while it's happening. I have a three year old son who, when we try to do what we call TV church, he remembers, but there's so many other things on that TV that I could be watching and kind of wants to divert our attention that way. So it's a blessing to me to be able to gather here with you all this morning and to continue this great series that we're doing in the book of Philippians. For those who don't know me, my name is Taylor, as, as John Mark so graciously mentioned. I've been attending Bell Road for a couple years now and for some weird reason, when pastors Tyrone and Amy decided they wanted to go on vacation, they looked at me and they said, I don't know, maybe that guy wants to talk about Jesus. So they handed me a microphone and they said, hey, go for it. We'll see how it goes. So, you know, you're on this ride with me together here and we'll see what happens. No, it's, I have a little bit more experience doing this sort of thing. I cut my ministerial teeth, as it were, in campus ministry in Washington State. So ministering on college campuses. I started at Western Washington University, which is right up by the Canadian border. And then a few years later, I moved out to Central Washington University, which, fun bit of trivia, is actually where Pastor Tyrone's brother coaches the basketball team. So you can check his uh, Central Washington University hat. Those are the Wildcats I'm aware of. So when people start talking about Wildcats down here, I get very, very confused, and I wonder why there are so many Central Washington fans around. But we've got at least one in our pastor. We know that for sure. Other things to know about me by way of a brief introduction. I love my family a lot. My wife, Sarah, and I, we met in the midst of campus ministry, and one of my favorite things about my wife is she actually came to faith in Jesus through that campus ministry, and I love that perspective that she brings to our marriage. She's not somebody who grew up in the church, who grew up in that culture, who had those experiences throughout her life. She met Jesus much later, and the perspective she brings as a result, and the hope that she brings as somebody right there in my life every day who says, yes, people who didn't grow up with this can come to fall in love with the Lord. That is a beautiful encouragement to me that I absolutely love. Hiccup and William are two sons. The first one's a dog, the second one's a human, just to be clear on that. They joined us while I was getting my master's in history at Washington State University. I am now contractually obligated to say, go Cougs, or they will come and take my diploma away. So let's get that out of the way there. And that's what I do now. I teach history at the college and the middle school level simultaneously. Yes, I know it's odd if you have any questions about what it's like to sometimes teach a student and their parent at the same time. Uh, we can chat about that afterwards. And I love history. I love it for a lot of reasons, but one of my favorite things is that we didn't run out of heroes of the faith when the author of the book of Hebrews finished writing that. You know this great cloud of witnesses that gets talked about in the book of Hebrews and they list all these heroes of the faith, mostly from the Old Testament? That cloud just kept getting bigger. 
You keep getting forward into history. It just keeps getting bigger. And that's one of my favorite things is you look through history and you find so many opportunities to praise the work of God. And it's funny that our speaker last week mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer as much as they did. William's full name is actually William Dietrich Bonhoeffer. His middle name is, is named after Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this hero of the faith. We gave William that name so that he could have a connection to history, so that he could have a story that he could come to know in his own name, and in this case, a story of faithfulness to the Lord. And in case you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, because Pastor Amy and Tyrone made the mistake of handing me a microphone, you are going to learn a little bit about history here, but I promise it's connected. Maybe you heard Dietrich Bonhoeffer mentioned last week, and who are we talking about? I have no idea who that is. Let me unpack it for you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor during the time of the Nazis, as the Nazis were coming to power in Germany. And something that a lot of German churches did during that reign of the Nazis is they signed loyalty oaths. German churches signed loyalty oaths to the Nazi regime because they were interested in seeing Germany become this great power that it was prior to losing World War I. Unfortunately, they chose their German identity over their Christian identity. But Bonhoeffer didn't do that. He joined a group called the Confessing Church. And it was a church that remained faithful to preaching the actual gospel, that refused to swear allegiance to the Nazis, and as a result, had to go underground. And members of the Confessing Church were hunted by the Nazi secret police. And Bonhoeffer became a very prominent figure within this confessing church. So prominent, in fact, that he was being hunted regularly, and most of the leaders of the church expected that he could be executed at any time. So they begged him, Dietrich, you have to flee. You have to leave Germany. It's not safe here for you. Please, you have to go to the United States. Bonhoeffer doesn't want to, but because his comrades were urging him, he did so. So he goes to the United States, he's teaching in seminaries, he's trying to educate people about what's really going on in Germany, but he has this burning in his spirit. He cannot stand the fact that he is safe in the United States while his brothers and sisters in the confessing church are being hunted by the Nazis. And so against everyone's wishes, he goes back to Germany to participate in what the confessing church was doing. And he's got a complicated history. Bonhoeffer actually participated in a plot to try to assassinate Adolf Hitler. He has a complicated legacy. Make of that what you will. But in the end, through his faithful service to the gospel, he was eventually arrested by the Nazi secret police. He was detained in an internment camp, and he was executed days before that camp was liberated. Dietrich Bonhoeffer died, pledging his devotion to the Lord. That's one of the reasons I love history, is because I, I could be up here for years telling you stories like that, of faithfulness of God's people throughout history. And as much as I could and would love to preach a series on Bonhoeffer and the Confessing Church, that's not what we're here to discuss. We are here to continue to unpack the good word brought to us in the book of Philippians. Now, a quick note on that name. I don't know if this bugs anybody else. I have a really hard time spelling Philippians. I don't know if this gets anybody else. I always think I'm typing out Philippians, which you do a lot when you're writing a message on Philippians, in case you're not aware. That's a word you end up typing a lot of times. I always think it should have two L's. 
but it's got two pieces. It throws me off every single time. I, it's, you know, my spelling mistakes aside, maybe you're really connecting with me in this moment. Maybe this is the pain that you have felt for so long, and now we're connecting. And in that case, I'm glad that I can be here for you in this moment. But my spelling mistakes aside, we are moving today into the second chapter of Philippians, into a beautiful passage that brings with it an intense and a difficult call. The call to live like Jesus. And as we move into this passage, I want to remind us where we started in this series on Philippians, this beautiful truth that Pastor Tyrone brought us, that joy is not a natural response to life. Joy is a supernatural response to life. And wow, are we learning the truth of that week after week after week as we are called to walk in joy, because in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. We are called to experience that. But wow, are we learning more and more that that needs to be a supernatural response to life. It's not going to come on its own. So let's continue to unpack that truth today. And I actually want to start in the last couple verses of chapter 1, because chapter 2 starts with the word, therefore, indicating that it's building off of what Paul wrote just prior and I don't know about you, but I don't dial in to a sermon series a week later and then like immediately recall everything that was talked about the previous week. By the a whole week later, my mind is kind of emptied of some of those things, unfortunately. Again, maybe this is one of those moments where you're bonding with me and we're able to have this connection here. So if for nothing else than to kind of catch us up on what it is that we just had the opportunity to learn, I'm going to be starting today in chapter 1, verse 29, if you want to turn there, if you've got a Bible with you. So with that in mind, let's catch ourselves up, and then let's press on ahead, starting in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, now we're into chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. A lot of translations will say something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, as we sang today, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Now, we could easily be here for quite a while just on this passage alone. People can and have preached for months and longer just on the words that we find here because they reveal so much to us about our Lord, about this Lord Jesus whom we worship and to whom we devote our lives. But we're going to unpack what we can today. There's a lot of great points here. Now, in light of the fact that the Philippians are sharing in Paul's suffering, we see that at the end of chapter 1, he calls them to, I'm quoting, make, in this case, his joy complete. By doing what? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, we know that Paul, from what we've talked about in this series, we know that Paul, through his connection to the Holy Spirit, found capacity for supernatural joy. Say that with me, supernatural joy in the midst of suffering. And you know what? I think Paul would even be able to find joy were he living with us today in these circumstances. His connection to the Holy Spirit would allow him to do that. And I see that from a few different things in Scripture. For one, this was a guy who was almost killed multiple times for preaching the gospel. Paul was stoned, and I don't mean like legalize it. I mean like executed, almost executed for trying to preach the gospel. It's one of my favorite moments from across Scripture. In the book of Acts, we see this. He gets dragged out of the city. A group of people try to stone him to death. And what does it do when they manage to not kill him? Paul gets back up, goes back into the city, and he keeps on preaching. And he does it with joy because he has that connection to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, some of you might be thinking... Here's Paul coming into this room, even with joy, and you might be thinking, yeah, but I've been cooped up in my house for a long time. Paul's getting to roam all over different parts of Asia Minor, getting all over into even parts of Europe and proclaim the gospel. He gets to go everywhere, and I'm stuck at home right now. Would Paul find joy even being stuck at home in this way? Well, remember, Paul found himself under house arrest for a significant portion of his ministry, and yet... Even when confined in that way, even when his opportunity to roam about and proclaim the gospel was taken from him, he still found joy. Not because of his circumstances, but because of his connection to the Holy Spirit. And he still found opportunities to preach the gospel. Not because of his circumstances, but because he understood the call of Jesus on his life. That regardless of circumstances, he was to make disciples. Even if that meant making disciples of the guards who were to keep him under house arrest. And he could do all that because of his connection to the Holy Spirit. So we know that Paul had access to supernatural joy in the midst of suffering, yet we see here that Paul knows he has room for even more joy. The Philippians can make his joy complete by doing what? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And can I tell you, even a few years removed from ministry, can I tell you that this is what every minister longs for? 
every single minister longs to be able to look at theirs or any other congregation and see this. To see a fellowship that is like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And that sticks with you. When you get to see that, it sticks with you. I have a story from, from years ago now that is still burning fresh in my mind from my time in campus ministry. In my last year as a campus pastor, we hosted a workshop for our community on civics, working to teach students to be a Christ-like presence even in an American election season. I promise you it's possible because the Holy Spirit can accomplish all things. Now, the tables at this particular workshop, they were split up randomly, so you couldn't just sit with all the people you already agreed with. You were kind of jumbled up, and you didn't know what you were going to get in your conversations. And then what we did is we had each table, each individual at each table, caucus, kind of speak up for, if you're not familiar with how a caucus works, the candidate that they planned on supporting. And this is in the spring of 2015. So you still had a lot of candidates on the table prior to the 2016 election. And I will never forget when I asked people to share at the end of the night what this experience was like for them. This one student stood up, and boy, this is one of those students that when this guy grabs a mic, your heart rate ticks up a little bit because you just never know quite what he was going to say. Sometimes it was really, really of the spirit, really powerful, and other times it was like, huh, we might have been a little bit better if you could have just like left that word somewhere over there. So you didn't quite know what this guy was going to say, but he stands up and he said that while he did not agree politically with a single point that someone at his table had made because he listened to that person and because they together were able to affirm their common love of Jesus, he could respect and love his political opponent as a brother in the Lord. This was an 18-year-old college student who would have made Paul's joy complete. This guy got it. And that is forever burned in my memory as an example of what I love to see in any fellowship of God's people. But can I say, though, it has been a long time since 2015. And I think we, the American church, we need to repent a bit. I don't think as many of us would make Paul's joy complete today. I think we spend more time fretting and arguing and yelling over our differences than in working toward, as Paul calls us to, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So I hope that we can do better together. How do we do better? Well, Paul has some things to say about that. Let's take a look at verse 3 and 4. Paul says here, do nothing, do nothing, do nothing. Would you say that? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Let me tell you, I could preach it till I pass out just on verse three and four. This is a powerful world and a powerful call on our lives here. I love how blunt Paul makes these words. They are just there. And yet they cut like a knife to the core of our being, challenging how we live on a daily basis. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in place of 
what you would do out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. What if we did that every day? What if I did that every day? How different would I be? What if I did nothing out of concern for my own ambition? What if I gave up on making sure that I got mine at the end of the day? What if I cared less about my individual freedom, that word that Americans love so much? What if I cared less about my individual freedom and valued others above myself? What if I lived what this passage is calling me to do? What if I just took Paul and the Holy Spirit at their word here and lived this? How different would I be? How different would our world be? That is what this word calls us to do. The question is, will we? We find these calls a lot in Scripture, where Scripture puts it in front of us, this is how you're supposed to live. And it leaves us with a question. Will you? That's the question we're left with at this moment. Hang on, though, because Paul's not done putting tough calls on us. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Had to double check my cup, make sure I'm not giving Starbucks any free advertising. Ah, darn it, I did it. This is generic brand coffee. Now, there's a lot for us to talk about in this passage. We could, and many have, simply, we could simply sit in this passage and just be in awe of our Lord. Because think about what we learned here about what our Lord did for us. What he had available to him the full, unlimited, unadulterated power of God, and yet he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that we might have life. We could just sit here and marvel in that and through the Holy Spirit be brought to tears. That is the power of this word. But doing that would miss the call that God puts on our lives through through the word of Philippians. Verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Our relationships need to look like Jesus's relationships. Simply put, we need to live like Jesus. And if you have been at Bell Road for any length of time, you are familiar with those words because we say them a lot. But it is a call that we need to reiterate on our lives. And I love 
that we put that call on ourselves every single time we gather together as a community, every single time I look at a pamphlet from Bell Road Church, every single time I look at a sign about Bell Road Church that I get reminded that I need to live like Jesus. That is the call that we see here in this passage. And this call to live like Jesus, it is echoed throughout the New Testament in extremely direct words. I love how 1 John puts it. From 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him, him there being God, so whoever claims to live in God must live as Jesus did. And then the passage moves on to talk about something else. The author of this book's decided, I said it, we need to live like Jesus. There it is. Whoever claims to live in God must live as Jesus did. Jesus himself even proclaimed this truth from John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, this is our Lord speaking. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and don't miss this, they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus calls us to live as he did, in this case specifically in reference to the miracles that he performed, very fitting, giving the sermon series that we have just recently wrapped up on miracles and what our attitude should be toward them. And I don't want us to miss this passage here where our Lord says that his disciples will do even greater things than him. That might sound impossible to you, but it's not. It's just math. Let me set it up for you. Jesus and his disciples are empowered by the exact same Holy Spirit of God. When Jesus returned to the Father, he blessed us with full access to the Holy Spirit. So, of course, if we think about it, we would be able to exceed even the miracles that he performed. Jesus was one man empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. We stand as the global church across all of history and stretching into the future, empowered by the exact same Holy Spirit. Given those trillions upon trillions upon trillions of eventual opportunities that we will have to live like our Lord Jesus, to do the same things we saw our Lord Jesus doing, of course our Lord would say, that we would do even greater things than him. That's not individually, that's collectively as the people of God together working in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that we would one-up even what he accomplished except for one thing, the victory that he claimed over the grave. He did that for us, that one unique thing that we can never replicate. But in everything beyond that, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, our Lord calls us to live like him and even go beyond what it is that he accomplished in his time on earth. We are called to live like Jesus. But wow, are we ever good at ducking that call in our lives. We hedge around this so much. We talk about how we're trying to live like Jesus how we're struggling to live like Jesus, how we long to live like Jesus. But Scripture comes along and tells us at a certain point, stop trying and live like Jesus. That's what we need to do. We need to live like Jesus. We need to do what he did. And when we don't, when we sin, we need to repent 
And repent doesn't mean we say sorry and then we keep doing the thing that isn't like Jesus. Repent means you were moving in one direction. Now you completely turn from that sin and you move in the other direction toward full obedience to Jesus. We need to turn from the pornography. We need to turn from the domestic abuse, emotional and physical. We need to turn from the substance abuse. We need to turn from the lying and the pride and the lack of love for our enemies, and we need to live like Jesus. And let me be clear, that list of sins that I just read was not in order of importance. If we find ourselves involved in any of those things and any other thing that is not how our Lord Jesus would live, we are called to repent, we are called to turn from that thing, and to live like Jesus. Because it is only in living like Jesus that we will be as useful as possible to the kingdom of God. To do what our Lord has commanded us to do. To go and make disciples of all nations. For God's heart is that none should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. We need to live like Jesus. And we can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we don't do that, when we sin, we lean hard into the grace of God, confident in our Lord's sacrifice on that cross for our salvation. And then we get back up and we keep living like Jesus. Here, Paul calls us to do that in the context of our relationships. He calls us to make our relationships like Jesus's. Now, what does that mean? Well, while in his human form, we learn that Jesus, I'm quoting now, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, as many of the translations of Scripture will say, or as the one I'm reading today puts it, something to be used to his own advantage. Do you know that Jesus could have snapped his fingers, made the whole earth worship him, and be done with his earthly ministry like that? Do you understand that our God has that kind of power, but that he chose not to use it in that way? Out of his love, he chose not to just force the universe into devotion to him because he would rather we choose to love him and devote our lives to him. Jesus knew that there was more work to be done. Getting the whole world to pay lip service to his lordship wasn't enough. Jesus knew the Father had sent him to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, for your sins and my sins and your sins and everyone's sins for all across history and into the future. That had to happen. Jesus had to be that atoning sacrifice so that we could come back into full and right relationship with God. And so, because of his humility, Jesus did that for us. He did not use his power, his infinite power, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He considered our needs above his own by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we are called to do that. We are called to model that same behavior in our 
relationships. That's the call that is being put on every single follower of Jesus by this passage. What's even more amazing, this blows my mind, that Jesus did all this with joy. You want to talk about a supernatural response to your circumstances. Jesus did all of this with joy. And if there is a clear example that joy and happiness don't mean the same thing, I don't know what it is. To know that our Lord endured what he endured, not with happiness. He did not go to that cross with happiness. We see that in his time of prayer immediately before his sacrifice. He did not go to that cross with happiness, but he went there with joy because he understood what he was accomplishing for the kingdom of God. That is how we know that joy, one, is not the same as happiness, and two, is a supernatural response to our circumstances through a connection with the Holy Spirit, not a natural one. If we want joy, if we want to have this supernatural joy that transcends any kind of happiness or good feeling that we can think of, we need to follow this call. And we need to make our relationships like Jesus's. But the question is, how do we do that? It's a bigger call than I can come pack in the time that we have. So I'm going to try to stick to one point. We need to stop thinking we're better than people. We need to stop thinking we're better than people. Hear me on this. Jesus had the opportunity to express the full power of God yet did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He had the unlimited power of God available to him that he could have used however he wanted, but he chose not to. Who are we to lord our little superiorities over others? If that is how our Lord exercised his humility, who are we to lord our little superiorities over others? I will never find joy if I think I'm better than every other driver on the road. I will never find joy if I think I'm the best parent in a particular group of people because it's how I see somebody else's kid acting. I will never find joy in that. I will never find joy if I doom scroll through my social media feed wondering about how everyone else can be so foolish and reigning superior over every other post that somebody has decided to make. I will never find joy if I take that attitude. We will never find joy if we buy into this idea that we're better than other people. Who are we to lord our little superiorities over others? But what do we do then practically to give up our superiority and make our relationships more like Jesus? If I can give you one thing that you can go out and do from the second you turn away from this message, let it be this. Ask more questions. Ask more questions. We daily, subtly assert our superiority over others by assuming we know what they think and the reasons behind their actions. We believe that we are superior in our intellect or our emotional understanding that we don't need to ask questions. We already know why you did what you did, and we already know why you think what you think. We already know why you said what you said. There is superiority in that. Because of that superiority, because of that vain conceit, we don't ask questions. We, I, let's point this at me, I need to stop assuming I know why Sarah or William, even my three-year-old son, said what they said or did what they did. I need to stop assuming I know what my friend meant by that text or social media post. 
I need to set my supposed superiority aside, abandon my assumptions, and ask more questions. Because in that, I show humility. In that, I show the attitude of Jesus. Jesus demonstrated humility in the ultimate step of coming into our world. He literally became human to experience what we experience. Imagine the humility in that. He had the unlimited power of God at his disposal, and yet instead he chose to walk as he calls us to walk today. He is not unfamiliar with what he has called us to do. If you want a way that daily you can exercise giving up these little superiorities that we hold over each other, try asking more questions. Let yourself embody humility in that way. As we wrap up, God, I pray you would let people hear me on these two things. First, if you claim to follow Jesus, you need to live like Jesus. We gotta stop messing around. Scripture does not give us wiggle room here. And when we don't, we lean hard into the grace of God, confident in our Lord's sacrifice for our salvation. And then we get back up and then we keep living like Jesus. And second, a question for you today, what will it take to make your relationships more like Jesus's relationships? That's what this passage calls us to do. We need to do that. And if you need a place to start, start by asking more questions. I wanna ask that you join me in prayer. Lord God, it's really easy to get the idea in our heads that it's impossible to live like you. But Lord, just because we can't copy your ultimate sacrifice of dying on the cross for the sins of all humanity doesn't mean we can't live like you. Because Lord, you said yourself that we would do the things that we saw you doing and even more not out of our own power, God, not because of anything we can cook up, not because of any superiority we think we hold, but because of a supernatural connection to your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray today for everyone who could hear my voice and beyond, any of the people that the people who can hear me would influence, God, help us to live like you. Be so gracious as to speak to us in a way that we can hear, Lord, that we might live like you. We want to, God. We long to. We're trying to. Help us to stop trying and do it. Help us to live like you today, Lord. May each of our relationships look more and more like the relationships that you had, Lord Jesus. We love you. We lift this up to you in your son's holy name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message of Bell Road Church. We hope you enjoyed it and that God spoke to you through it. Be sure to connect with us online via Twitter, Facebook, and at bellroadchurch.com.